and welcome to the Motormouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. Do you work for or run a business? You can now raise awareness and funds for urgent change by joining the Brain Tumor Charity's brand new campaign, Businesses Against Brain Tumors. By declaring yourself a business against brain tumors and taking on your very own brain power challenge, you can raise funds for vital medical research while improving your own brain health at the same time. People have shaped our world and facilitated amazing amounts of progress through business. Organizations are connecting people every day, innovating in the face of challenges like the pandemic and creating products that make up our culture. Now is the time to take that power and put it into good by beating brain tumors. And we all know there's power in numbers. Brain tumors are still the biggest cancer killer of children and adults under 40, with treatments having changed very little since the 1980s. It's no wonder when only 3% of national cancer research funding is spent on brain tumors. So it's down to the charity and its community of amazing supporters to urgently enact change. Look for the Brain Tumor Charity on social media to find out how you, your colleagues and your business can be the difference we need to see to defeat brain tumors for good. Motormouth is proud to be officially partnered with the Brain Tumor Charity, so a huge thank you for your support. If you can donate anything, you can also do that through the motormouth.club website or through the Brain Tumor Charity Direct, and together we can help every single person affected by a brain tumor. It's season nine, and we're really excited to be once again teaming up with F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality, and travel program of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the pinnacle of motorsport. And let's face it, any chance to get close to Formula One this year, we're all over it. And the brilliant news is you can now be trackside thanks to F1 Experiences. Enjoy the very best race tickets and track hospitality, first-class hotels, and unprecedented access you simply cannot get any else. For more information on how you can book your F1 experience, visit f1experiences.com where you can also save 5% on your very own F1 experiences package by using the code MOTORMOUTH when checking out online. So, what are you waiting for? Experience the 2021 F1 season firsthand with exclusive access courtesy of F1 Experiences. Get booking today at f1experiences.com. Hello, my name is Tim Sylvie, and today we're joined by a man who has both a German and Mauritian passport. And did you know, Harry Benjamin, that Mauritius uh, was the only known habitat of the dodo. Yes, the long extinct and flightless dodo bird was only found in Mauritius and even today is still considered to be the national bird of the country. It's also shown in the national coat of arms and legend has it that the dodo actually evolved from pigeons who lost their way and found themselves isolated on the islands of Mauritius. But, my dear co-host, some Mauritian-based trivia for you here. The flag of Mauritius is one of the simplest and most colourful flags in Africa. It's made up of four different colours, different colours, horizontal stripes. What are those colours? I think I would get this. <laughs> okay, okay, this is going to be awful. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think it's got, from my memory, uh, it's yep. red. Correct. <sighs> There's yellow on there. There's yellow on there. There's there's green. There is green. There's one more. Come on. Uh, and it's, is it like, oh, 
Is it like pur- is it oh. not purple? Like a blue? Uh, it's, is it- blue. it's blue. It's blue. It's blue. <laughs> You've got it. It's, it's red, blue, yellow, and green. The yellow is uh, symbolising light of uh, freedom shining over the island. The red is the national struggle for independence. The blue is the nature of the country and its position in the Indian Ocean. And the green is about the year-long adventure and subtropical weather. So well done, you. I think that's two in a row you've got. So can that is two in a row. Two shows in a row. I've got a question right. I'm quite proud of myself for that one. Well done. Now apologies, to listeners in advance I've got a horrible cold I promise you it's not COVID but I do have a cold so if my voice gives up at any point I'm just going to lie on the floor and Harry pass over to you but um, let's uh, let's bring in today's guest shall we? I think so so today we're joined by Pascal Verlein, who started his racing life in karts back in 2003 before moving up through ADAC Formula Masters, Formula 3 Euro Series and DTM, where he'd go on to be champion. He's reached the perceived top of the motorsport ladder in the former Formula 1 before moving across to its greener cousin, Formula E. He enjoyed two years with Mahindra before a switch to Porsche, and we're here to find out more, delving into his life, career, views and opinions. Pascal, welcome to the motorsport. Hey guys, thank you for having me. <laughs> Absolute pleasure, Pascal. We're off to a good start because I managed to guess correctly the flags. Yeah. Uh, the flag. So uh, we, we've got off to a good start there. Um, but where, where are you at the moment? Where are you based currently? Uh, I'm at home currently, so I'm in Switzerland. Um, exactly. So we are in the middle of the preparation, but uh, yeah, currently I'm home, and uh, but soon again being in Visa. <laughs> yeah, and a pre-season testing for Formula E just around the corner, isn't it? Well, we'll come on to a bit of that. But uh, what we do with every single show is we like to go back to the very start with all of our guests and, and find out a bit more about you, Pascal, and where it all began. Where did that racing bug show itself? What was it that made you go, right, I want to be a racing driver? Well, it started very young for me. So um, I've always been interested in Formula One and motorsports. I've always watched it uh, with, with my dad and when I was a kid four or five years old um, I you know put my alarm clock in the morning uh, when the race was for example in Australia at four or five in the morning and I woke up my dad and I said hey Formula One is uh, is, is on TV now uh, wake up and, and watch it with me so there's been so much interest always for me when I was a young kid and then when we were in Hockenheim once as uh, spectators I think I was uh, five years old and I saw it live. It was so addictive to me and uh, so interesting. And um, from there on, I kept annoying my parents to go racing with me. Um, yeah, and finally they went racing with me, but I was already eight years old. So I kept annoying them for a long time to go karting with me. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, you, you mentioned your dad there. Um, and uh, I read in one of your previous interviews that he, he was a boxer. Is, is, is this, uh, was this a, a potential avenue for you to go down? Have you ever tried your hand at putting some gloves on and smashing some people around the face? <laughs> <laughs> I did, <laughs> but uh, just for fun um, and, and for training. So... I never went into a, a professional uh, path, but uh, yeah, for training and for fun. And uh, yeah, also uh, in the cellar at home, we had, uh, how do you say, the boxing um, bag? Boxing yeah, yeah, bag? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 So exactly. Yeah. I did that with my dad uh, quite a bit when I was young, but never went into a professional uh, path. What could have been? It's good. It is 
Good exercise, though, isn't it? But uh, you're, of course, is. focusing uh, yourself uh, on four wheels. And so you started, I suppose, you finally managed to persuade them when you were eight years old, you said. So you got up through the karting ranks and, and then you found you moved to cars. I think it was uh, you graduated and found yourself in Formula 3 Euro Series in 2012, I think, after winning the Formula Masters. Uh, was yeah. this the point where you were starting to feel that you really had something here and that you could really take this, this racing business seriously and that, and that not that you weren't taking it seriously, obviously, but it's things like Formula One, the thing you'd watched as a kid was actually a real possibility here. Yeah, it's weird because um, it's hard to say when that point was because, for example, I won the German championship uh, when I was uh, in karting, when I was um, uh, like uh, from 10 to 14, I think. So four four years in a row, and then I moved to Formula Masters, like Formula ADC, like you mentioned. But obviously already there, you know, I, I was lucky to get partners like ADAC um, or Deutsche Post. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they had like an academy for young drivers. So I would say it started already a, a bit before to get, uh, let's say, really professional. And, um, and uh, yeah, you, you had the right people around, you know, like in the, uh, in the jury, there have been guys like uh, Norbert Hauck, for example. And um, yeah, I would say it starts already before. But as you mentioned, 2012, when I was in Formula 3, um, that was really the year where it decides if you go, if you're going to be a, a professional racing driver or not. It's Formula 3 is really the category where I would say all the manufacturers and, and teams are watching at young talents. Yeah. Does that um, ADAC uh, backing and support, is that still going on now? Are there young drivers coming through that system still that have that perhaps don't have the deep pockets of you know, certain other racing drivers who have a funded drive, whether it's their father or something else or state money? Is that, is that process still happening? Yeah, uh, yeah that academy is still alive. Um, actually, there are many, many drivers... And the ADAC Academy, actually, it's not only, um, uh, yeah, how you say, uh, for, let's say, the target for Formula One. It's also um, for motorbikes, motocross, rally. So it's an academy for many categories. It's not only for, um, say, single-seater or touring car. It it has uh, lots of different talents, which was really interesting for me because, um, there were a couple of kids which, uh, in, in my age, but uh, then heading towards a MotoGP uh, um, career. So that was really cool. That's that's fascinating, actually. And and you mentioned touring cars, of course, and that is where you ended up because the following year you jumped across to DTM, and you were only eighteen years old and. Because of that, you became the youngest driver in the series history, I think, at the time to get pole position and win a race. And I think you finished eighth in the championship there. So I switched to DTM. So, you know, suddenly you've got a roof over your head. You must have some fond memories of that time as well. But what was your sort of thought process in going into DTM at that time too? Yeah, it, it came quite short term, to be honest. So um, I had planned another season of F3 um, 2013. Um, but I became already second in 2012, um, so it was my first year, so I wanted to become champion in 2013. We planned for another season in F3. Um, at that time, I was a Mercedes young driver, and um, then just like in March or February in 2013, I got a call that uh, Ralf Schumacher actually stops in DTM, and they want to have me in the car. 
So I did my first race in F3 there already that season. It was a month. I can remember it uh, quite well. I I had three, so it was three races that weekend. I had uh, three podium finishes uh, that weekend. I had a race win. So I was leaving that championship and then I got the call. Uh, yeah, we want you next month to be in DTM. So I said, yeah, obviously that's that's good because we knew already that this season for me is crucial. Um, the next step would have been F2. But we didn't have the budget and the money to do Formula 2. So it was really important for us to get uh, yeah, contracted or a deal done in that year so I can race again next season. And when that opportunity in, in, in DTM came, it was um, the perfect moment for me because actually, yeah, we didn't have to pay the whole season in, in Formula 3. So we, we saved that budget there and... Um, then obviously I got my first professional uh, contract and um, I got paid and didn't have to pay. So that was, that was really good. And DTM is uh, it's a very, very professional career. And, and um, like we saw, um, you know, when you did, a, uh, when you're doing a good job there, you, you can still make it to F1. And, and uh, so yeah. that was good. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and as you say, you know, the, the likes of Formula One teams are always looking at the DTM grid and seeing what's going on. And, and things were going pretty well for you. I mean, you know, breaking through in DTM, a championship um, that you would go on to, uh, to, to win. But uh, in the meantime, you're signed as a Mercedes AMG Formula One um, reserve driver. That phone call or email must have been a fairly life changing moment. One of those moments where you think, Holy crap! Like, what is going on here? I've I've really made it. <laughs> it's it's right. So just when I won my first uh, race in DTM and, and got my first pole position, um, we kind of announced that I'm the reserve driver as well. But actually, already since the beginning of that season, I was doing all the sim simulator work and all the sim prep. So during the race weekends, I was the driver who was in the simulator and and doing the setups and stuff like that. And um, also between the races, I was. Uh, Quite a lot in Brackley and and doing all the all the stuff there in the sim. So I was already involved in in the team, um, but somehow they made it official uh, a bit later in the year, um, and then also being the reserve driver then. Yeah, yeah, no, fantastic stuff. And I mean to 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 continue the the good news stories, you move on to your second season in DTM, clocking up five podiums, uh, fastest lap, two wins, um, which you, you dovetail in F1 with Manor. But what a season in DTM. How, how, how are your memories of that time? It must be very fond. I really enjoyed uh, the old DTM um, and also my three seasons there because, first of all, I think I've made huge steps from season to season. Um, I got a really big... Uh, bond with especially with the guys from there from Afaltaba um and uh, yeah we had uh, I don't think we were the favorites I think we were more the underdogs we had um a poor season 2013 all the Mercedes drivers uh, average season I would say in in 2014 and then um yeah we were definitely not the favorites but we still managed uh, to win in 2015 um we were the most uh, consistent team i would say we scored in almost all the races um i only won two races like you mentioned but there have been many races where i've been on the podium or fourth or fifth so in the end it was just a consistency of of scoring points and being there all the time and not having 
I don't know, a, a podium and the next race a DNF or something. And that really helped us to to win that championship in the end. It was very close. It was tough. Um, you know, I was racing there against, uh, in the end, the title fight was against uh, Ekström, I think, Matthias Ekström, which is uh, quite a bit older and yeah. quite a bit more Big experienced. Man. So, um, and yeah, it, it wasn't easy, but uh, in the end, it was uh, an amazing feeling. And and then the amazing feeling, of course, continues because you do eventually then make the step to Formula One in 2016 as well with Manor. Talk us about talk to us about how that deal came about and and what it was like to to line up on on the F1 grid. You know, with obviously some of the the biggest names in the sport, and you become, I think, it, the, the second driver from DTM to make the switch to Formula One. So showing that there is a there is a. a, a uh, compatibility there as well. So talk to us about that time. Yeah, it was, uh, um, I think, in the beginning of uh, 2016 when I got the call. So actually, it still uh, took uh, a bit after the season to know actually what I would do next year. Um, so obviously, I always had um, my DTM cockpit. And uh, yeah, the other option was uh, the F1 cockpit with Manor and um, it took until January. So there were lots of discussions. Um, but yeah, obviously then when I got the call that I would uh, get the coffee, was uh, amazing. I knew it wouldn't be an easy year because uh, that year before the performance was um, a bit worse. Like they were like three and a half, four seconds behind and didn't score points and so on. But uh, I knew that it would be better that season because they are changing to to the Mercedes engine. There's a bit of um, yeah information going on, and uh, yeah, it was an interesting season. We had some highlights. Um, well, yeah, I mean Aust- Austria. Yeah, <laughs> one point in Austria. That looked like the celebrations looked like you'd won the race <laughs> at some point. <laughs> That's how much it must have meant. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, it, it's it was such a small team. And really good people in that team, but it was a really small team. And uh, if you look at where we started, like being behind four, four and a half seconds behind, and then in Austria, um, we always made it uh, into Q3 and uh, I think just qualified 11th or 12th and uh, regularly um, being in front of uh, uh, Renault or Sauber or... um, even at, at that race, for example, Williams, uh, McLaren, you know, it was an um, amazing uh, result for us and definitely something um, unexpected. You've, you've already, by this point, been in the simulator, an F1 simulator, of course, and, and you know, you're very used to that. But can that prepare you for what it's like driving an F1 car on track? Can you put into words some of those feelings and emotions that you get when you pull away in a Formula One car for the first time? The simulator can prepare you in terms of uh, procedures and steering uh, wheel, all the buttons. Um, so everything like that, obviously a bit in terms of driving, like braking points, uh, roundabout. But uh, in the end, the real car is still very different. The feeling is uh, very different. And um, just the G-forces, it's already a completely different thing if, you, if you're feeling G-forces or not. And... Um, yeah, at that time in Mano, we didn't have a simulator. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> it made it you, probably even bigger, that result. 
it, well, it was a fantastic result. Sadly, that was the highlight, I suppose, from that year in terms of point scoring. But you make the move to Sauber in 2017, which on paper looks like it should be a step up. But of course, Sauber didn't have the most competitive car uh, that year either. I think it was two point scores for you, um, Spain and, and uh, Baku, I think, from, from memory. But um, what talk to us about the, the, the Sauber year, because that ultimately proved to be your final year at F1, which I will put on and say right now is very unjust. Um, so talk to, <laughs> us, talk to us about that and how, how your feelings are towards Formula One at the moment. Yeah, that year, um, honestly, I think we all expected a bit more. I think uh, the beginning of the season was quite good, but uh, one of the, the issues we had was we were running with um, the previous year um, power unit from, from Ferrari. So we didn't have the, the current power unit and uh, that was the problem. So in the beginning of the season, obviously the gap was, was not so big, but then as everyone was improving their power unit and changing uh, the power units, Obviously, we were still on the on the one from 2016, and uh, so the gap was just getting bigger and bigger, losing more and more uh, performance on the straights, and and that's obviously then difficult to make up in the corners. So that's why we scored. I think we had a seventh place in in Barcelona and and um, a tenth place in Baku, which was everything in the first uh, third of the season, mm. um, and then. Yeah, the rest of the season was getting very difficult. Um, so yeah, but still, it was a, I would say a good season. Um, yeah, we made the most out of it. Um, but yeah, obviously, um, didn't score as many points as we all hoped for. A quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsor, F1 Experiences. F1 Experiences offer a wide range of packages that come direct from Formula One, giving you a unique experience of the pinnacle of motorsport. Official ticket packages come with the very best race tickets, first-class hotels and transfers, and unprecedented access, including track tours, pit lane walks, VIP hospitality, and loads more. It really is the closest you can get to Formula One. And thanks to F1 Experiences, Experiences, you can return to the track this year and Motormouth listeners can save 5% on your next F1 Experience package by using the code MOTORMOUTH when booking online at f1experiences.com. Now, post-Sauber, you, you make a, a, a swift return to TTM and then um, this, uh, this new electric championship comes on your radar. How do you find yourself in Formula E for that first time alongside Drain D'Ambrosio at Mahindra? It was very interesting because it was something completely different. Um, obviously, having experienced quite a lot uh, DTM, so touring cars and Formula One, um, but then jumping the first time into an electric car was, uh, yeah, interesting. Uh, definitely something completely different. But I have to say that I really, really enjoyed it. So for me, it's really the let's say the way I want to go in my, like in my future. And, um, and I'm more of a single seat, uh, guy. I enjoy it more to have an open cockpit to, uh, I don't know, have the full view, feel the air and, and, and yeah, get more impressions also from outside than being in a, in a touring car. Um, and I really, even though I was just, uh, uh, one year again of DTM, then 2018, but I really missed that. So um, my first test then in the electric car was was cool. Um, 
that first season in Formula E was also really good. Um, we had some pole positions, podiums, uh, just missed a race win in, in Mexico in the last yeah. corner oh. <laughs> when I ran out of energy. But uh, yeah, no, it was... Um, was it was a good season definitely did you find it, it, sorry harry i was just gonna say did you find it difficult or, or how did you adjust you know going from things like dtm and obviously formula one and then jumping into an electric car to race um how did you adapt to all the the different ways that you need to drive whether it's the regen or the tires um the very different tracks to probably what you're used to did, did you find that transition okay I would say I'm very good in adapting and changing my driving styles and, and learning. So, you know, I'm, yeah, I just turned 27, but I've experienced so many different uh, racing categories already. You know, I know I'm quick in, in touring cars. I know I'm quick in F1 and I'm also quick in Formula E. And um, I have that experience in, in, yeah, in those categories. And I know I can adapt myself quite quickly to, to any car, probably, if you experience so different types of categories, I guess you can race anything. So, um, yeah, it was it was obviously again not easy, but uh, for me, it's a very special uh, category, um, especially the races, like you said, with the region, um, managing your energy, uh, being efficient. So. I would say in F1 and DTM, it's more about saving uh, the tires. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, obviously one lap performance in qualifying, but the races are mostly about saving tires. And and uh, yeah, in, in Formula E, that's uh, not so relevant. It's more relevant to be efficient and manage the energy and um yeah, that's quite a change, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And and before we come on to uh, where you are now, because you made the switch across to Porsche, just to point out for those that are listening to this, Pascal is sitting there wearing his um, his Porsche um, Formula E um, Hugo Boss branded uh, top there, and the watch. Now, I'm a watch guy, as Harry knows. I've bored him with watches before. What What's the watch? Let's have a Let's have a look at the watch. <laughs> uh, it's a Tucker connected watch, so. Um, oh, it's made nice. for, um, yeah, for everything. Like you can wear it daily, you can wear it for sports. It has different wristbands, so you can make it, uh, quite nice for evening events as well. Um, yeah, I really like it. I'm using it for running, for example, for cycling. Um, it's, a uh, yeah, all, all round watch. If yeah. only this podcast is being sponsored, but right now by Tag Heuer, that would that would fit that's, seamlessly well, into our messaging. That sounds like a, that sounds like a phone call that we need to make, Harry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Pascal. I mean, clearly, you're a versatile driver. That's uh, one thing that's been made clear. And then you make the move, uh, of course, to Porsche in, in for the 2020 season after a, obviously the the COVID affected season that was before. So you make the jump to you know one of the biggest German manufacturers, one of the biggest manufacturers in the world. What was the motivation behind that move? And and looking at your season, you know, it was a good season. And up, up, apart from the odd disqualification, which absolutely was must have been so it was it was annoying to watch, let alone have to experience it in the driving seat as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the motivation is clear. It's the motivation was uh, I want to win again. Um, 
and uh, yeah, to drive for uh, yeah a brand like Porsche, like uh, the success in like the history and and uh, you know that there will be so obviously the team just joined Formula E, but it is clear that if they are joining a, a category, they want to win it and uh, they will do everything to be um, competitive. And that's why it was a very easy decision for me to do that. And um, yeah, like you said, last season was our first season together. It was just uh, the second season of Porsche and Formula E. So was, uh, we were still quite new in this championship, I would say. Um, but nevertheless, we had um, a strong season. Um, we had a race win in, in Mexico, like you said, but got disqualified afterwards um, and uh, just missed out on the championship by 20 points. And uh, if, you, if we just consider Mexico, um, where we lost more than 25 points, um, we know uh, how good our season really was. And um, it's, it's like to be in a team is, is amazing. So I really enjoyed there. Um, yeah, it's probably the best time I'm having in, in motorsport so far because, uh, you know, I, I really miss that feeling of being, again, in a competitive team and being able to win races, like turn up on a weekend and know if you do a good job, you can win that race. Um, I didn't have that for a long time and that's why I'm, I'm giving everything, um, yeah, to be... Uh, champion again <laughs> well let's talk about that in a bit more detail what what are the aspirations um for for next season it's creeping up really quickly we've got um diria in saudi arabia i think the 28th of january something like that so it's it's coming at us um fast what have you discussed internally what are your hopes and dreams for uh next season um you know, Formula E is a very tough championship. Everyone is so close together. It's not like um, F1, for example, where you have big gaps between the teams. And that's not the case in Formula E. The same cars for, for all the teams, the same aero. So you are not allowed to work on, on the bodywork. Um, so you're restricted in the things you can develop and you can uh, yeah, improve. Um, software is a big side. So every team is allowed to do their own software. Um, obviously the the engine um, and and setup, but uh, yeah, that means that everyone is a lot closer together. And uh, our target is definitely to to win races. Um, and you know, if you're winning races, you're also in the position to win the championship. And you want to extract the most most out of uh, next season. Um, like I said, we are we're only twenty points behind. Uh, now first season together and uh, yeah now we have a, a much better relationship um, uh, much better bond obviously in the beginning it always takes a bit time until you get uh, used to each other until your engineer knows uh, what what I want from the car how I'm able to drive um, the fastest and also I need to learn the, and understand the car um, and that takes a bit of time in the beginning a couple of races um, so our second half of the season was really strong and we want to continue uh, exactly there. Yeah, 
Yeah, and we've got um, Gen 3 cars coming in. Um, Formula E seems to move at an incredible rate. And even in its its very young um, uh, life cycle so far, we, we're already approaching our, our third generation of car. What, what sort of changes uh, can we expect in that Gen 3 car? Is it going to be big wholesale changes or is it, you know, just a, a bit of extra uh, kilowatt power? What, 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 uh, what can we expect? The most important thing is more power. <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah it's quite a lot more um, so that will be cool um, fast charging so um, yeah for gen 2 we didn't have pit stops or anything in, in the first generation so I think the first four seasons of a car change during the race so we didn't have to do that in the last couple of years but um, exactly from Gen 3 onwards, they will have pit stops again or fast charging, which is the first time then, which will be really interesting and also relevant for the road cars, obviously. Um, so that will change. Um, what else? There's, there's, also some, there's also some qualifying format changes happening, isn't there, for next year? Because that's obviously been yeah. a big debate amongst all of the yeah. drivers, you know, because it, yeah. it, it, depending on what group you're in, you can get the best conditions, you can get the worst conditions. Are you looking forward to seeing that change? Can, can you talk us through a bit what's happening there? Well, changes for next year, that's still Gen 2, so yeah. still the current cars, but um, there are actually quite a few changes in, uh, going on for next year. So like you said, qualifying format, um, before we had four four groups and um, you always like ranked by the championship order. So the first group were the four first six guys in the championship, and always that group was um, a bit handicapped uh, from the regulation uh, side because they were running. They were the first cars on track. The car, the tracks were always a bit dirty in the beginning, so it was impossible to qualify in front if you are in group one. And in order to yeah, make it fair or more fair for everyone, um, we have a new qualifying format now, um, which I think is really, really good. Um, so we have 10 minutes, so two different groups, 10 minutes, um, and you need to qualify uh, in the top four to make it into the duels. And then you are driving one against one uh, with, with another driver and just the winner uh, makes it through to the next round. So then you have a quarterfinal, uh, so on until the final. And uh, then, yeah, that's the last two, obviously, are, are driving then for pole position. So that's very good, really interesting. Um, what else is changing? A bit more power in the race. So we are increasing power from 200 to 220 kilowatts, uh, more power in attack mode and also in... Um, Fan boost or fan boost mode, uh, which is always 250 kilowatts now. Um, that, uh, how they manage the races with, uh, sorry, <laughs> how they manage the races with safety car and virtual safety car is also changing. Um, so they will kind of add time to the race uh, length in the end and not reduce the energy how we had it in 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 the past and it was quite difficult for some teams <laughs> to make it to the it, end uh, like oh. Valencia was, uh, was uh, a perfect example for that um, so yeah that will be clearer for everyone and uh, more easy uh, to manage and um, 
yeah, that's also a good change. I'm, I'm pleased. You've certainly, certainly done your homework, that's yeah, for sure. I mean, know your stuff. I'm pleased, I know everything. I'm pleased <laughs> that you've uh, explained um, the new Formula E qualifying format so clearly because, uh, quite frankly, I've read it in a load of places and it went completely over my head. So that um, it clears it up completely. Um, now, yeah. we're coming towards the end, so we'll, we'll fire some, um, some quick-fire questions um, in your direction in a moment. One question I've got for you, a lot of our listeners are... Um, uh, uh, involved in motorsport in one way or another. Some of them are young carters and young drivers met working their way up through the sport. Um, as we all know, motorsport is incredibly expensive, even at the, the very junior levels and hard to break into. There's a lot of good drivers out there. Um, what advice, what would you say to young drivers who are perhaps karting at the moment? They're looking to make their next move. They don't have um, a big bank account. What, what can they do to try and improve their chances? Honestly, it's a very difficult question because, um, first of all, everyone is obviously in a bit of a different situation. Um, obviously, I can relate a bit on on my career, which which was uh, yeah, I never I never did it for obviously I did it for fun. Like it, I I really enjoyed uh, being on the racetrack and and being uh, like especially in karting then every weekend in the, in a now a little motorhome and traveling with my parents from, from track to track. But I always had the goal and the, the ambitions to be the best one from uh, out of everyone. And I wanted to beat the other guys and not only like winning the championship, I wanted to be first in every race. And if I wasn't um, first, I was, I think, the most unhappy kid uh, you can imagine for days it was not just for that day or for an hour it was for days i was so annoyed i was uh, sorry for the word i was so pissed off and <laughs> and uh, yeah i think that's the most important thing you really need to 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 want it and you really in in your career there are many setbacks and obviously also many negative experiences but you need to learn from them and you need to learn from mistakes and especially not make them twice. Um, so uh, obviously then it's, it's hard to save an advice for, um, for later on um, which path to go or, um, you know, it depends on also a bit of luck. You need to be in a good team, a competitive team yeah. um, and so on. But I think the most important thing for yourself is you need to be ambitious you really need to to want it like to to learn and and to um yeah you know knowing the regulations is like for me for example it's not really important for me to know the regulations about uh, next season what's what's changing and so on but i want to know everything like i want to know not only everything about driving, I also want to know everything about the car, about the regulations, what is changing. Um, you know, I just want to be informed overall. Um, yeah. At the end, to, to be, there are many, many good drivers, but to be the best is just that little bit of extra work you need to do, that little bit of extra training you need to do, that little bit more work in terms of... Um, yeah, training, training, like training your driving, 
uh, watch the data and so on. You know, it's just yeah. small things at the end make a big difference. It's, that, it's that extra little 1%, isn't it? And I, and I think you, you either have that in you or you don't, no matter what the, the career that you have chosen is. Um, if you don't have that extra 1%, um, you are going to get left behind. I think we had an interesting chat with Liam Lawson, um, the uh, the current F2 driver um, from New Zealand, who, you know, from the furthest place on the planet. And um, his, <laughs> he, he, he was so single-minded in his approach. He was like, there was just no way I was going to do anything else. Uh, I will get to Formula One. That's my one and only goal. And he'll do everything. He'll knock over anything in his path to get there. And I think you've got to have that sort of um, drive. Um, now let's start to um, to come on to some of our uh, final questions. Um, a difficult one for you, but can you try and pinpoint what's been your biggest highlight of your career so far? Um, it's hard to pick one. Uh, winning DTM was definitely one of the highlights. Um, was an amazing feeling. Obviously, driving in an F1 car is uh, amazing as well. So. Um, that's another highlight, and I think, um, you know, with with all that experiences I've uh, I've had in the last couple of years, being now in a in an amazing environment again, and um, being in a competitive environment, and having a great team behind me like Porsche is uh, another highlight, and I really appreciate that situation I'm I'm currently in, and. Um, yeah, I want to make the best out of it and I'm giving everything. And I'm sure you will. If there's one thing we've learned is that you are uh, an incredible racing driver, but do you have any other hidden talents that we might not know about? Uh, uh, I'm quite good at playing drums. Hey, we've got a member uh, for the band. Welcome to there the we band. Go. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm quite bad at singing. So that's all right. That's all right. I could, we'll only, I could only play the drums. We'll stick you at the back. It's fine. Don't worry. Uh, well, flip but, that on his head then. What are you crap at? What are you just absolutely terrible at? Singing. <laughs> well, yeah, that's uh, it. Fair, fair. Sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How's your mm, cooking? Uh, it's getting better and better. Okay. Um, so now I would say I'm quite a good chef. So, okay. Very uh, nice. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not bad. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Can't think of. Uh, we we can we can stick anything. with the singing. We can take. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's stick with singing. Let's stick with that. And then, I, and I suppose we don't ask this question actually to that many people. And we'll just got a couple more, and then we'll do our, our final three. Um, but do you have yeah. a racing hero? Um, I was a big fan when I was young. I was a big fan of Mika Häkkinen and, and Michael Schumacher. So those were my two heroes when I grew up. Um, and yeah, uh, obviously, the older you get, um, you see it in a, in a, with a different eyes, or different. You see it with different eyes. But uh, definitely, when I was a young kid, those two were my heroes, and um, I was cheering for them. Both incredible drivers, and incidentally, um, you've probably watched it, the Schumacher film on Netflix. Um, I, I watched for the first time very recently. My God, that is a uh, 
uh, a brilliant but quite difficult thing to watch and, and very emotional. And I'm not afraid to say that I sobbed like a child when um, Mick Schumacher came on and started talking about his father. And that was just far too much for me. I couldn't cope anymore. But obviously, Mika Hakkinen um, features quite heavily in that film too. Um, a fantastic driver. So two excellent, excellent choices. Um, the long-term plan, where, where are we going to see you in 20 years' time? Do you think that far ahead? I mean, you've got plenty of racing left in you, but what comes later? Um, what comes later is a good question. So uh, currently I'm, I'm actually like studying a lot and, and reading books and, and stuff like that, which I've never done, to be honest, when I was a, a, a bit younger. <laughs> but um, now I'm like, uh, trying to, like you said, to figure out what what could be interesting for me to do after my career and um, to kind of work on. And um, yeah, I, I I would like to have my own company one day. Um, obviously, yeah, it is important first of all to do something after your racing career, but then also to obviously earn money after your racing career. And um, yeah, I'm as I said, I still have a a couple of years, definitely in in <laughs> racing. Couple, yeah. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> just, you know, just 10, just 10, 10 or fifteen, uh, <laughs> ten or fifteen years. But uh, yeah, I would like to, yeah, at one point to to also, uh, yeah, do something else and uh, and uh, yeah, like I said, have my own company and 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 um, yeah, have a. We say in Germany, have a second. You say a second leg, like a, a second standing... Uh, like a, back, a backup plan? No, not a backup plan. Like a, a second uh, career, like after your first one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. That would be so. But before before you even get to that stage, I'm just curious because obviously Porsche are quite heavily involved in sports cars as well, naturally, and, and Le Mans and, and perhaps hypercar and DPI and things like that. Is that ever something that you might want to have a go at someday? Definitely. Um, been in so many different categories and that's definitely the one category I want to explore as well and and have a go as well. And um, uh, yeah, I would like to do it one day. Nice. Well, uh, it is, uh, I think you'd be, I think it would be a great watch actually as well. Um, now we have come to the end. We've got a final three questions for you, which we ask to all of our guests. It's brought to you by F1 Experiences. Tim, do you want to kick things off? Yes, indeed. Pascal, what has you excited at this very moment? The new season? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Short well, answer. Yeah, no, season. good. Well, that's good. You've got, you got to be in the car next week, I think, or in a couple of weeks at least. Um, yeah. What is... Now, actually, Formula E has some of the best nice. calendars, or some of the best race locations out of any kind of motorsport calendar. What is your favourite one on the Formula E calendar? Um... It was Cape Town. Uh, unfortunately, we are not going yeah. uh, there. It got cancelled. But I think then the following year, we are going to be there. Um, so then I would say Vancouver. Yeah. Never nice. been there. And it's a new track, so it should be quite cool. Yeah, very nice city. Very green city. Um, should be good. Um, right, your final question before we let you get on with your day. What are you scared of? Turbulences in a plane. Oh, 
Oh, really? We haven't had that one, surprisingly. <laughs> Turbulence. And I suppose you've got to do a fair amount of flying, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, everyone is saying some animals, so I just wanted to say something else. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's really, it's, yeah, I, I hate it. Like, I, I, I'm a really relaxed person, but when there are turbulences in a plane and we're flying overseas, I hate it. Like, I'm, I'm Shut your eyes, who, hold on to the seat. Who is grabbing the seat yeah. and who is watching the faces of everyone else and <laughs> watching the, the stewards' faces. When they are quiet, it's fine, but if they, are, if they get a bit <laughs> nervous as well, I know, okay, now it's serious. And <laughs> so, yeah, I, I hate it. <laughs> really brilliant. Oh, it's a bit of a shame that you have to travel so much, but oh well, I'm sure you manage eventually. But look, Pascal Verline, it has been an absolute pleasure uh, to chat with you and get to know you a little bit more, find out about your, the early starts of your career, your F1 days, and of course, what you're currently up to in, in Formula E. And we can't wait to see how obviously next season goes with Porsche and, uh, and what the future holds for you as well, Pascal. But Pascal Verline, thank you so much for coming on to the Motormouth podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. Before you go, one final reminder to check out F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel programme of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the sport. Official ticket packages, which include the best race tickets, first-class hotels, travel and exclusive behind-the-scenes access across a Grand Prix weekend. F1 Experiences offer packages like no other. So, to book your F1 Experiences package, head online to f1experiences.com and if you enter code MOTORMOUTH, you'll get 5 percent off too thank you so much for listening to the motormouth podcast do make sure you give us a follow on our socials twitter at motormouth underscore instagram at motormouth underscore official and facebook just search motormouth you can also download the motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from mmtv create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy we're also proud to be supporting the brain tumor charity too so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker don't forget to like subscribe and review and until next time you've been listening to the motormouth podcast